Welcome to Sounds Japanese Canadian to me, with me, Raymond McElroy. And me, Alexis Jensen. Today might not sound so Japanese Canadian, but it is related to Japanese things. Yep. And the reason why we decided to go a little bit left field is because we took inspiration from the gallery where we're having our annual art auction. And the theme this year is Daruma. And they are dolls that we've asked 100 artists to paint, and then we're selling them off. So we are going to be talking about Japanese folk creatures slash characters slash folks. Folk folks. Yeah. Folk folks. Japanese folk folks. And we've chosen a few of our favorites. So starting off is with the Daruma. And what the Daruma is, is it's these dolls that are round and... Um, commonly they're sold, you can buy them anywhere, and they're sold eyeless. And what that means is you paint one eye on while you're making a wish or um, setting a goal for yourself, and then you paint the second eye in once that goal has been met or your wish has come true. And so the real Daruma is that of a Buddhist monk known as the Bodhidharma, and Historically, he comes from the 5th or 6th century AD. So I guess Daruma is the Japanese pronunciation of Dharma. Probably. I would think so. Bodhidharma. And his life is pretty much wrapped in legend, but we'll tell you what we know about him. He is often considered to have come from South India or Persia. The Bodhidharma traveled to the northern Chinese kingdom of Wei to the Shaolin Monastery. After being... The birthplace of Kung Fu. <laughs> After being refused entry to the Shaolin Temple, oh. he, li <laughs> he lived in a nearby He didn't have cave. the chops to get in. No. Well, it's actually, he's credited for having invented the martial arts. But Although, they didn't want him in? And Well, they didn't know that they were the inventors of the martial arts Oh, this yet. is before? Yeah, it was before. Um, wow. So he was refused entry into the temple. So they probably saw what he did and then they ripped him off. No, I think he came in later. Oh. But it, I, that, that story I don't know about specifically. Oh, okay. It's more right. about how he became the Daruma doll. Oh, okay. So he was refused entry, and he lived in a nearby cave where he faced a wall for nine years, not speaking the entire time. He uh, was unhappy about not getting in? I don't he, know. Was he pouting? Or he was he sent was in the corner? He was meditating, supposedly. Oh, meditating. It's to be like a higher order thing. Oh, okay. All where right. he, he bonds with the cave wall. I don't know. So after seven years of staring at the wall, he accidentally fell asleep. And after waking and realizing his error, he was so angry with himself that he cut off his eyelids Ooh. to prevent it from happening again. And as his eyelids hit the floor, the first tea plant sprang up. And thereafter, tea provided a stimulant to help keep students of Chan awake during meditation. So that's one of the myths around him. Because he's the inventor of Shaolin tea and uh, martial arts. I don't know. And so tea leaves kind of look like eyelids, don't they? A little bit, yeah. I wonder if he... So the thing with Asians is some of them kind of have obvious eyelids and some of them don't. I wonder what well, he was from. <laughs> so you think that he... India, so. But he couldn't... Well, that. And he couldn't... As a monk, he <laughs> didn't reproduce. So it's oh, not yeah. like he carried on. Okay. Eyelid. Yeah. No, I wasn't list. suggesting that was okay. part of that. But. So... Another account relates to the Bodhidharma was admitted to the Shaolin Temple after nine years in the cave and taught there for some time. So that's maybe where he taught the martial arts once he got in. Other versions... Imagine having a teacher, though, who had no eyelids. That would be kind of freaky. 
It's impossible. It's impossible to stay awake for nine years. This is myth. <laughs> yeah, but it's like those people who paint eyeballs on their eyelids, so when they're closed, then it looks yeah, like they're open. Yeah, that looks creepy. Maybe he did that. So his brain could be sleeping, but his eyes would still be open. Yeah. So other versions of him are being admitted to the temple, but are reported that he passed away seated upright, or that his legs atrophied after nine years of sitting. And that's that, the part I heard. Yeah, and that's why you have the Daruma dolls have no arms or legs. They're just these round things. But So then he wouldn't be a very good kung fu instructor if his legs had fallen off. Well, at least he couldn't demonstrate. <laughs> no, well, very... that's that's why all these myths have different like streams going different ways, right? Oh, oh, oh. That don't meet up together, but they start off at the same point. Okay. So we basically the one focal point of the Daruma is he sat in a cave for nine years staring at a wall. Hmm. That is the one thing that people jump off with. Right, and the so the doll is based on the idea that he had no legs, and it's sort of yes. like a weeble that wobbles, but it gets back up or something. Yes, because it so um, it's stuffed thing. with something heavy it's at the bottom. the bottom. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the idea. Is so I've heard wish and goal. I think goal makes more sense, right? With the thing being uh, heavy on the bottom, so if you push it over, it jumps. You back keep up. persevering. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I guess a wish could be that way too if you really believe in it. Well, depending on which self-help book you read, then, then a wish means you don't have any, any effort any or pride. You're just hoping that it's going to happen. Yeah, that's true. Or as a goal, you're doing something toward it. So the goal to... seems like a, the better choice. Yeah. You can take control of the situation. So I'm just going to, before we start talking about any more creatures slash characters slash folks, I'm just going to give a brief explanation of Japanese folklore. Um the folklore itself embraces Shinto and Buddhist traditions, as well as agricultural-based folk religion. Japanese myths... Yeah. Well, so the, so the Shinto is sort of indigenous, and then the Buddhism came from China and India. Yeah. Yeah. And then the folk religion, I'm not... It's just a mixture of all of these ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Japanese myths specifically are generally recognized in mainstream today and are based on the Kojiki and the Nihon Shoki. And some other books. And the Kojiki can be translated as Record of Ancient Matters. I've seen a few translations, but that one mm. sounded the coolest. And it's the oldest surviving account of Japanese myths, legends, and history. Mm. So then we're going to jump into the Kitsune, which is a very popular one. And I'll let you you go with this one. You lead. Okay. Well, so the Daruma is kind of an interesting example showing all those different influences of, of coming from India and having the religious component, the Buddhism, the Chinese, and then being adopted by the Japanese as well. And so probably most of these other ones also have those kind of uh, lineages. The, the Kitsune refers to a fox, and so there are actual foxes, although I don't remember ever seeing a fox in Japan, but I guess they were there, or they might have been hiding. We're going to be dealing with the conceptual aspect of, of the fox, the kitsune, rather than specifically the biology of foxes and things yeah. like that. So the thing about the kitsune, I guess, is that they can change shape. And this seems to be a, a, a theme for a couple of different characters that, that we'll look at. And the other aspect is that the kitsune are guardians for the god Inari. And Inari was the god of rice. And even though I haven't really seen pictures of what the god of rice is supposed to look like. Oh, maybe he, maybe he's a grain of rice and they painted his face very small so you can't see it unless you have a magnifying glass. I don't like, 
That's ridiculous. <laughs> like an, an angel that's, and a pinhead? Well, you Is know, that that, the, I, I remember seeing that at the Guinness Book of World Records. But anyway, okay. um, so here's here's an excerpt from uh, Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan by Lafcadio Hearn. He's he's this European guy from about 100 years ago. He, he married a Japanese woman and wrote about some of these weird things. Uh, but he, he's talking about how different um, aspects there are of the fox. Uh, he says, to define fox superstition at all is difficult, not only on account of the confusion of ideas on the subject among the believers themselves, but also on the account of the variety of elements out of which it has been shaped. So that's a little bit like the Dharma. And yeah. So basically, we're going to be rambling about different <laughs> <things>. <laughs> I think it's also interesting the idea of shape shifting and how perhaps it connects with the Japanese idea of honne and tatemaya, the difference between your inner self and your exterior self of how mm. you um, show yourself to the world and how you interact with the world versus how you are inside. And whether that idea or that concern is something that they're always thinking about. My my dad, I, I asked him a little while ago about whether he had heard of these things. And, and he mentioned that his mother, long, long time ago, would mention kind of matter-of-factly that you'd have to be careful of running into a kitsune who's changed into a person. <laughs> like this was a, maybe maybe it was an admonition because the kitsune are usually changed into beautiful women. So so not to be fooled by a, a foxy oh, foxy lady. Okay. I don't know if that was the, the motivation or not, but uh, he, he said it was funny how it was just for matter-of-fact. So getting back to Inari, then this is related to, as with many things in my case, related to food. And, and there's there's a thing called Inari Zushi. Have you ever had that? Yeah. That's, so that's like the fried tofu sacks with yeah. the, the rice. I, I don't really like them. But apparently uh, that tofu stuff, the, the foxes are supposed to like, the, the, the gods. So that's why they call that one Inari okay. Zushi. And then also there's Kitsune Udon, which uses that same tofu stuff with the udon noodles so okay. it's supposed to be the foxes like it okay and since you're vegetarian then that might be an option yeah that's why i know about what yeah. you're talking yeah. about with those and, and i don't bother with them myself but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when i lived in japan there was one of these temples so apparently there are the Inari temples shrines rather so i make the distinction shrine is for shinto and temple is for buddhist okay. and uh, you see the red tori the the gates around them and where I was living in Japan, I was next to this hill and there was a, a shrine up there. There were all these red tori gates going up. And it was supposed to be the the Inari shrine. And I remember one time when I was teaching English to these little kids, they would come running in at nighttime and say, Shirokitsune, Shirokitsune. So they they said that they had seen the white foxes. They were, they were fooling around. But anyway. The, um, uh, it stuck with you. Yeah. I still remember that from, from long, long ago. And... Even though these things are, well, primarily connected to Japan rather than Japanese-Canadian per se, I was reading this book called Water Possibility by Hiromi Goto, and it's set in Calgary, or at least in, in the prairie somewhere, and these kids encounter these Japanese mythological creatures in them. So they have a kitsune who's sort of the bad guy, and there's Tanuki and Kappa, which we'll talk about later. But So... At least that's a Japanese-Canadian connection. Totally. <laughs> uh, you were looking into Kitsune as well? I was too. And I went more into the myth of them. And there's two 
classifications of them. The Zenko, which are translated literally to good foxes, and they're the benevolent celestial foxes, and then the Yako, which are literally field foxes, and they tend to be the mischievous and malicious ones. In myth, Kitsune, the common characteristic is he or they can have one or more tails. And yeah, that's weird. Huh? Really? I love that part. And so I know. each tail like symbolizes a hundred years or a different, it, it varies, but it's usually each hundred years that a Kitsune lives, it grows another tail. And by the ninth tail, which is 900 years, it's fur turns to white or gold and then it becomes omniscient so it can see and hear and everything in the world at any time and so like, this is where we diverge from the biological aspect of foxes yeah and, and we're dealing more with the ideas behind it it kind of reminds me of a video game <laughs> like that part like, oh growing growing a new tail yeah like, that's a good one yeah <laughs> they do like raymond said take on human form technically they're not they're not a or they don't have this ability until they reach a certain age, which is, again, 100 years. 100 years seems to be... A, a good good age. Yeah, like mm. where you become. And so they become beautiful women, uh, like your, your grandmother was concerned. <laughs> Young girls or elderly men, or sometimes the appearance of a specific person. And... So in that, in that water of possibilities, yeah. uh, the fox that this girl meets is supposed to be a male fox, but he would turn into uh, a human girl. Okay, so a young girl. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, I mean, they list, and it's just, when you see lists like this, it's like you know that different stories have hmm. had the fox change. And then, I don't know in that story, but they're known for having problems hiding their tails when they take human form. And... <laughs> And so when a drunk or when the person That's why they wear kimono. This is their yeah, long the long ones the girls, that go all the way down to sense. the ground. The origin of kimono is to hide your tails. So when they get drunk or careless, this is when you should go looking for the tail oh, to uh, discern if you if it is in fact a kitsune. Hmm. Other... Checking out some tail. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's so <laughs> I don't know if that translates into Japanese mm, language though. Mm. Um, other powers they have is flight, invisibility, and the ability to create illusions in others. So to make people almost go mad. In other mm. words. Yeah, I think they call it Kitsune Tsuki. Yeah. Did you get that? No, I don't have that one. Mm. Do you have the one about wedding processions? Oh, no, go on about that. Okay, so uh, another big thing with the Kitsune is they have wedding processions, which I think is really interesting because in most stories, they're just singular, like one fox up to something right but this talks about it almost reminds me of fairies um oh, yeah, and yeah. fairy processions uh -huh. and so they're called kitsunu kitsune bai and they're long processions of kitsune carrying lamplights at night or during a sunny day with rain and so they explain this now with in olden times and forests they could see um, fires in the background and usually what this probably was is oxidation of chemical phosphine caused by decaying organic matter which is found in forests which doesn't exist anymore because japan doesn't really have a lot of forests but so people would see Old this growth. in the distance yeah hmm. and so and there would be many fires and so they would be like it's kitsune bai and so they would think it's a procession and you would stay away because it's bad and then 
The second one is. And practically, more... you might catch on fire. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they're supposed to be the lamplights, right? Uh, so they yeah. have. Ma- there's just magic there, so you have to be careful. I would guess. Yeah, but and the then... explanation you had was there was some other chemical reaction that was taking place. Yeah. So as a practical, oh, yes. a practical measure, you'd stay away so you wouldn't. Catch yes, on fire. the myth uh, helps explain the reality of what beware essentially. And then the other one where the sun shines and it still rains, which in Japanese is called. I'm gonna. I hope I pronounce this right. Tenkayami, Tenkiami. Have you heard of that? Oh, but the fox's bride going to the husband's house. That's it's related to the procession. yeah. That's the that's the wedding procession. And so the reason why they think it's raining is because when it's perfectly sunny out, is it's the foxes have used their magic to create rain and hide the procession. Oh. Not because she's not happy about getting married. No, no just a match. Well, those would be good conditions world. for seeing a rainbow, so that's interesting. Yeah. I mean... So it's supposed to be... But it's strange because they seem such singular creatures, right? So to imagine them getting married and... I don't know. And losing their singularity. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't make sense with all the other stories where they're just depicted as one kitsune, right? Oh, I see. They're being a group of them. Yeah, that's all I have for the kitsune. All right. Well... Why don't we move on to some other animals? All right. One of them that I was interested in was the tanuki. And so there's an actual animal, the tanuki. And uh, in Japan, it's supposed to be a subspecies. This animal uh, in English is sometimes called the raccoon dog because, well, it's it's a member of the dog family, but its face does look like a raccoon. It's sort of got the coloration and the shape of, of a raccoon. And the thing about the tanuki, it's, you might see it in restaurants in Japan standing there with a bottle of sake out of a gourd and a big straw hat, a grin on his face. And it's hard to tell if you don't realize what it is, but it, it usually has giant scrotum uh, <laughs> hanging down there. And and for this seems to play a big part in, in a lot of the stories associated with it, of um, it being used as a drum or... <laughs> the weird thing is I saw one account that related it to some practical reason in that um, goldsmiths in Kanagawa used to use animal skins to help pound gold foil, gold into foil. So you wrap it up in there so that the, the gold gets um, stretched out so it's very thin. Okay. And uh, apparently tanuki do have relatively large scrotums and, and they're very durable <laughs> so that they were good for stretching out the gold. And so there's this also association with wealth wow. um, related to it and, and the <laughs> value of scrotums as uh, scro is a scrotum. Oh, anyway, it's testicles, I think it's, well, well, I guess not. They're, You're right. They're the it's... bits that are hanging yeah. in. There, but, uh, um, so anyway, <laughs> another example is there's studio Ghibli film, Pompoko, which I haven't seen yet, but my brother was telling him about, where the tanuki used their nutsacks uh, <laughs> as um, parachutes. Yeah. So that's quite impressive. I recommend Googling the image because it's really comical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things about the translation is that they're often called badgers, which is kind of confusing when you when you go because the same story might be called tanuki. So more recently, it seems they just call them tanuki rather than calling them raccoon dogs which is kind of unwieldy and badger which is misleading mm. but but so they also have the um ability to change shape and one one of the stories has to do with a tanuki it didn't seem to have the option about it changing the shape 
it would either be a tanuki or it would be a tea kettle. <laughs> it was either or. There's it seemed to be. Yeah, it didn't seem like it had the option. But uh, there was a monk who liked tea, and then he bought this kettle off a, a vendor, a used metal guy, and of course tried to make tea with it. But then that's when the tanuki woke up and ran off, <laughs> and ended up going back to the metal dealer. Now, in some versions, is because the metal dealer had been nice to Tanuki. So the Tanuki said, why don't you sell me off and make some money off? But they decided that this would be a bad idea because he getting turned uh, put on fire since he's a tea kettle. And so, people would come back, wouldn't they? Demanding their money back? Well, it's yeah, yeah, they probably, that's right. They would probably do that. So in this case, what happens is the Tanuki says, well, in addition to being a tea kettle, I'm, I'm good at dancing and singing and performing. And so they put on shows and then make money that way. And after making all this money, then the former scrap dealer says, well, you've been good to me. I have a good life now. Why don't you go and have a relax? You don't have to perform anymore. And so they actually make arrangements with that monk who originally had put him on the fire and explain the situation. And then uh, he, the Tanuki got to hang out in the treasure house and not get put on fire and um, <laughs> had tea cakes whenever he felt like it. So, Anyway, the tanuki lives on as this sort of mascot of restaurants as a carousing friendly character rather than something evil. With a giant testicle slash yes. scrotums. Right. That is supposed to bring good fortune. Right. So the next animal that we're going to talk about, or it's not an animal at all, it's a spirit, is the kodama. And it's a tree spirit, and it's translated from two kanji characters, which is ko, tree, and dama, which is spirit or soul. And tree spirits are said to make their homes in trees that have reached a certain age, usually around 100 years old. There's a theme here. Hmm. Um, people in Japan mark these trees by tying shiminawa rope. Did I say it right? Probably. All right. Shiminawa rope around them. In some cases, the spirits can walk from tree to tree like they are properly depicted in uh, Princess Mononoke. And in other cases, they're tied to a specific tree. If you bless and honor Kodoma trees, they will protect you and your houses and villages. If you cut them down, they will curse you and misfortune will follow. They're also known as the echoes heard in valleys and forests. And the sound of a crashing tree is said to be the cry of a Kodama. So even if there's no one to hear it? <laughs> yes. There's a cry. Oh. <laughs> the first mention of the Kodama is in the Kojiki that talks about the tree god Wakunonochi no Kame, who is the second born of the godling brood of Izanagi and Izanami. Around the Edo period, Kodama lost their rank as gods of the forest and were included as just one of the yokai. The monsters. The monsters are mythical, spiritual beings. Hmm. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Kodama are humanized as well, like the tanuki and like the kitsune. And many stories include Kodama falling in love with humans and taking human shape in order to marry their beloved. Besides the cute Miyazaki creatures of the Kodama that you see with the wobbly heads, you see them everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? Those okay. ones? They are, in myth, usually depicted as an old man or woman standing by a tree. Well, the well, the idea of spirits, I guess there's that movie, that Miyazaki movie, Spirited Away. and there Are, are they spirits. in that as well? Well, I don't know. There are all these weird creatures in that one, but okay. a lot of them are related to spirits of the river or spirits of one other thing. And and that I guess that ties into Shintoism, yeah. the idea that there's uh, spirits associated with different natural 
objects and yeah. the connection to those places. Well, there's dryads. They're similar to dryads, I would say, which are the Western version of tree spirits. Hmm. Is that is that the same as the... I think there's a publisher, Kodama. Have you seen any books? No. Hmm. So that's weird because they're well, using yeah, paper. That's what I was, yeah, so maybe... Okay, well, that's a gap. <laughs> Another thing that I was interested in because of food was kappa. Because I've heard of kappa monkey, which, again, it's a vegetarian thing where you have the mm-hmm. cucumber in there. Yeah, I know that one too. Yeah. So <laughs> it's green. And I wondered why it was called kappa monkey. So there's the creature called the kappa. And uh, that's not connected to necessarily a known animal, but there's this idea that there's a creature who lives by the river. The Maybe the most significant feature of it is it has like a bowl on the top of its head as part of its head. It's, it's like its head is a caldera, it's, it's it, at the top of its head, and it's supposed to have water in there. And one way to trick the cuppa so it loses its power is to bow, and then it's very polite, so it bows back and the water falls out. So, <laughs> so mean. Well, I mean, no, because sometimes it's not very nice what the okay. kappa do. Because uh, they, they some in some cases, they drag people into the water and eat them. And so okay. some people have said that it's an example of a story where you're warning kids to stay away from the water so they don't get eaten. Okay. So even though they're not, as far as we know, uh, a, a living thing that we can put our finger on, some people associate them with otters. So that there used to be otters. I think there there are not very many left in Japan, if at all. Um, but the earliest depictions of them have them hairy, whereas later morphs seem to make them their bodies more turtle-like and green. Usually they have webbed hands and feet. But I suppose if you saw an otter coming out of the water, you know, and they're very playful in that way, there might be some association with that. But another interesting and weird... Um, source for the name is that kappa is portuguese for the monk habit and and back then when the, there were portuguese monks visiting they they cut their hair so there's like a fringe around the outside the, the mm-hmm. tonsure and that's sort of how kappa usually depicted is they got a fringe oh. of hair around the outside and then sometimes they they uh the kappa have more like a tortoise shell in the back which um is related to the hood that the monks had on their okay their yeah. outfits but i don't know why the they were associated with maybe they were lurking in the water i don't know maybe it had to do with baptism but um i guess foreigners uh at the, in the early times would have been a weird thing for them to see in, in some of these places uh so they do or they are supposed to like cucumbers and one of the ways you can pacify them is to leave them cucumbers and in particular they would carve their names on cucumbers and toss them in the river so that they wouldn't get devoured by the cuppa or dragged into the okay. rivers by the cuppa. And some people think that they have an Ainu origin, so that the native people there, but they have different morphs in different parts of the country. There's an aspect of, of the creepiness of them. So this is an example of how you wonder, oh, I guess maybe the audience has changed, but the, the, they're supposed to want this thing called the shirikodama. And I don't know if it's related to kodama or not, but tama also means ball, and it's this, like, maybe it's related to spirit and some sort of essence. Mm. But they're supposed to, uh, this shirikodama is supposed to be connected to the liver, which the 
Kappa tries to either reach up your anus with its hand to pull out or sucks it out. And through the anus? Through the anus, okay. yeah. So, and some people might think that when they didn't have proper toilets, they would be squatting over the riverside. That would be kind of a hazard oh, of, God. of that happening. <laughs> uh, make, it would make you finish your business quickly, I yeah. suppose. So the kappa nowadays, I guess, is considered more benign, like a lot of these things are. But there are, are versions where it is creepier and darker of them raping women and hauling children away and unpleasant things like that. So our last creature is, well, creature, is the Mineki Neko, which literally is the, the Japanese name for the beckoning cat. And these are the ceramic cats you see in sushi restaurants. I wonder if that's going to be our next art auction. Are we going to have to paint cats? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're in sushi restaurants and they're good luck charms for the owner. Sometimes they also go by welcoming cat, lucky cat, money cat, happy cat, or fortune cat. All basically the same idea. And, and as a cat lady, then, <clears throat> then you figure any form of cat is good. Yeah, I do. Except for I don't really like the style of them. Oh. Because the cat's too um, wide, the face and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it's make what I see as a skinny in a cat. Oh, yeah. graceful. They're not really the graceful, skinny no. kind of cat. I mean, it makes sense that, well, here's one of the reasons why they're probably a bit fatter. I'll get to they're it. They're wealthy. But... No, it's because of the or one of the origin stories. Oh, okay. So the Westerners, sometimes when they look at the cat, um, it looks like it's waving rather than beckoning, and this has to do with the cultural mm, uh, mm. differences between uh, body language. Mm -hmm. And so they've actually, in some cases, westernized the beckoning cat. And so when you see it, it looks like the palm is forward, but in some cases um, for Western sushi restaurants i guess they flip the paw so it's facing backwards so it looks like it's beckoning towards you like we are used to seeing it whereas i guess can Japan, cats actually do that uh no but i'll get to what oh, okay. they think the gesture is okay do they do they wave How no do can they beckon? actually turn their their hand no yeah they totally can but oh, okay. do, in japan do they beckon like this they usually their fingers would be forward pointing so that the palm is like parallel to the ground and it goes up and down like this okay yeah, I guess we do that. I can see my dad doing that to me. <laughs> kind of impatient. It seems more of an impatient gesture. Well, you see, than this. sometimes it's it almost oh, looks like you're, you're, it's a shooing kind yeah, of motion, right? Totally. So <laughs> it seems you you think of it as being the opposite if you're unfamiliar with it. I think yeah. at first, but but the emphasis I think is on the downward stroke, so it's pulling you. Whereas when you're shooing somebody, it's pushing. it's more on the pushing thing. Okay. But if you if you if just you look it at it, it looks yeah. It looks okay. Similar. That makes sense. So there's a sometimes it's either the right or the left paw that that's raised or both, and they have different meanings, and the meanings go across each palm. But the common belief is the left paw raised brings in customers, while the right paw brings good luck and wealth. And the higher the raised paw, the greater the luck. So consequently, over the years, the paw has tended to appear higher and higher. And so that's how, as a like an art person, if you're um, looking at trying to find out the provenance or the date when the Maneko Niki was Niko was made, you look at how if the paws lower, it's probably an older version, and if it's higher, it's probably newer. Hmm. Which is interesting. Hmm. And so there are guesses to how this tradition came to be, and 
the maniko nako's gesture is similar to a cat washing its face and so that's what cats can do is they can go like this and drag their hands across their faces and That was very cute the way you imitated the cat <laughs> there. <laughs> I watch it a lot. And there's a Japanese belief that a cat washing its face means a visitor will soon arrive. Hmm. So if you put that into a restaurant, oh, yeah. it's this idea of you're bringing in customers, right? Or it has fleas. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> at all how cats roll. Oh. So uh, there are a lot of origin stories as to how it came to be, but I think this one is the most uh, obvious, and that's the stray cat and the shop. And so the operator of an impoverished shop takes in a starving stray cat, despite barely having enough to feed himself. In gratitude, the cat takes up a station outside the establishment and beckons in new visitors. This then brings prosperity to the charitable proprietor. And so I think that might be why the cat's bad, as it denotes that they now have enough food to feed uh, the cat as well as the proprietor quite well, because all these customers are coming in. Ah. Rather than having a starving cat so you feel sorry for it and you should go in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would fly very well. Uh, oh, and I guess, yeah, I guess if it was fat, then you figure they've got a lot of business, so that's a good thing. Yeah, and the food's really good. Yeah. Because they Or that they have a lot of mice in there because they're, they're kind of... <laughs> no, I would never go there because uh, the cat's all dolled up with gold and stuff, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And usually they're white. Yeah. Is that sort of the, related to the spirit aspect of things? You I think? don't know. I think I did read that, but I forget the meanings behind it. There's some red, red, gold, and white are the main colors of the cat. I'm mm. not sure why. Red, are those prosperity colors? I don't know, but it's interesting that the uh, uh, the Daruma also tends to have red, gold, and white. Yeah. Well, also black, but... Well, same with the cat. I mean, that's I guess... just to denote features, right? Yeah. So that's all I have for uh, creatures, folks, and characters. There's obviously a lot more of these characters that we could be going into, but some of them, th these were some that seem to have connections that we can see in Canada and yes. other places as being related to Japanese culture. Yeah, that we're familiar with. So that was a good rationalization, I think. I think so too. And if you have favorite ones that you guys want to tell us about, you can write in to us. Uh, just look us up on the Nikkei National Museum's website. And I believe that is it for today. Until next time. Yep. Have a good day. Thank you.